What's going on, guys, and welcome. This is episode number 42 of RizzoCast, and we are joined today by none other than Sacramento State pitching coach and former minor league catcher Tyler LaTorre. Tyler, what's going on? Nothing much. Um, getting ready for a season. We uh, have opening day here coming up pretty quick, um, and uh, we, uh, we missed a lot of baseball last year, so our guys are eager to get back on the field, and I'm excited to be on the uh, podcast with you today. Yeah, so your first year was weird. So after 16 games, you know, that the NCAA said this pandemic is getting too out of hand. They shut down sports around the country. What what was that experience like? How did you guys kind of first get the call that, that you guys were going to be shut down? Yeah, yeah, it was so early in the it was so early in the year that uh we just kind of hit our stride. Um, pitchers were pitching well and hitters were coming around. Um, usually at the beginning of all college seasons, those you know, offensive players are kind of getting their groove back of facing live hitters that aren't, your, you know, not your um, inner squads or against your own pitchers. So um, we had just gotten back from, uh, from playing uh, UC Irvine. Um, we played USF on a Tuesday. Um, and then all of a sudden we were, you know, shut down on Thursday before we even got a chance to go to go play uh, University of Nevada, Reno. Um, so it was really early and, and it, it kind of hit us kind of hard just because we had some seniors that, um, you know, they didn't know that their last at bats were um, that Tuesday at USF. Um, you know, one of our um, one of our catching seniors who now has a really good job out in Austin, Texas. Um, you know, if he would have known that was his last ever at bat in baseball, he probably wouldn't have struck out looking. He would have gone down at least swinging. So um, it was tough, um, but our guys um, um, hopefully are going to show some resiliency and some, um, you know, our, the culture that we built here uh, of uh, trying to get better each and every day. Some of our guys went out and played summer ball, and um, luckily for us, we had a full fall too. Um, so that was good as well. Yeah, so here you are now. You guys, as you mentioned, are back working out, getting ready for the season uh, that starts later this month. So what are some of the, the early impressions that uh, you have of some of your pitchers? Yeah, so we've got some really good returners coming back. Um, last year we lost our Friday night guy. Um, Parker Brahms got picked up by the Pirates. Super happy for him. Um, goes down as one of the most uh, um, – prestigious pitchers in Sac State history. So it was exciting to work with him for as long as I could. Um, but we've got, um, you know, Scott Randall's back. who was our Saturday guy that will now move into the Friday night role. Um, and then um, Travis Adams, um, who's a third year, I guess, sophomore, um, but he's in his third year. Um, he'll move into, uh, you know, that second spot. And we've got closer uh, Stone Trivy back. So that's, um, you know, three important pieces back. But that that doesn't, you know, even begin to be count the um, – the people we have available. Um, we've got, um, you know, Travis Martisha, um, who's a mainstay in our bullpen, who's pitched in, in regionals, and Brady Rodriguez, who's pitched in regionals um, as a left-handed pitcher. Uh, Jack Zalaski was off to a really good start last year out of our bullpen. Um, and we've got some really good newcomers. Um, freshman um, Eli Saul um, is going to be a, a really good um, piece for us. Um, and we picked up um, – a, uh, a transfer from Ryland Tinsley from Cal State Stanislaus. Um, their season got canceled um, due to COVID. So the Division II, um, the, uh, Division II Conference, the CCAA, um, canceled their season in the fall um, for this season. So he was able to uh, be granted a waiver to be eligible for us too. So we, ha we have a lot of guys that um, have experience. Um, we also have some freshmen that, you know, missed their senior year. So they haven't played in a real game in a really long time as well. So I'm really excited for them to come out and, and uh, you know, show all the hard work that they've put in over this time um, and just go and compete. 
So were you involved in some of these guys? Because I know there was a big kind of a layoff between when you guys got shut down in 2020 um, and now here you are, you know, started in the fall or where, whenever you guys started. Were you involved in some of the throwing programs that these guys, you know, took part in uh, during their time off from, from the quarantine uh, process? Yeah, I try to be involved with them as much as possible. Um, obviously, it was tough um, with them not being able to come out to the field. Um, during the summertime, it's kind of, uh, you know, if guys aren't playing summer ball, they can come out and lift and be out at the field. And um, I'm not allowed to instruct them, but there's still some, you know, some face-to-face interaction. So uh, there was a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages, a lot of, you know, we have a we have a big pitchers group um, text that um, we send out videos, we send out inspirational quotes, um, just trying to stay connected with them as much as possible. Um, and I think that that's done really well, especially with the older group we've got coming back. Um, to mix in those freshmen that um, that came in as well, to be able to to stay connected with them. Um, but yeah, I was I was um, I was fully committed with with each one of our pitchers on the individual throwing program. Whether those guys were um, throwing every day in the Northwoods League or summer league, or um, if they were just training and getting getting themselves in the weight room, um, I was making sure that they were ready once we start fall. And then you know. Once you get done with fall, you have a, a little bit of a layoff before you start get building back up in January to get ready for February. So um, those conversations are always ongoing. And um, sometimes you have, um, you know, setbacks or guys are ahead of schedule. So you got to be able to be flexible as much as possible um, in building those relationships with each player and being able to communicate um, how they're feeling and where I see them tomorrow, where I see them a week from now and where I see them um, a month from now um, in their development process. So what do you tell the guys in terms of philosophy on the mound, in terms of a game plan on the mound, or maybe a better question would be, is there a style that, that you guys like to like to do stuff with? I know, for example, the pirates um, have big, you know, I've had, I had Tyler glass now on uh, not to name drop or anything, but he mentioned that the pirates were big on, you know, sinker ball pitchers down and in. And the Astros, meanwhile, are a team, the Astros and the Rays are teams that, you know, kind of value maybe off-speed pitches a little bit more, limit the fastball usage. So what is kind of Sac State's philosophy on the mound? I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, every pitch matters. Um, I think, I think early in my coaching career, I got um, caught up in, you know, let's win the, you know, let's get a first pitch strike and let's win the one, one count and uh, um, you know, two strikes um, within the first three pitches and, and, those are great stats to have. And I think it's good to have those as a, as a coach, but the players, I, I really want them to know that every single pitch matters. Um, no pitch is bigger than another pitch. And if you can simplify that down and just um, execute that pitch that's happening right now, um, I think it, I think it helps. I think it helps, especially in the development side. Um, we really try to, we really try to, um, you know, commit to the strike zone. Uh, I think everybody's trying to do that. Um, and I think sometimes um, when you have t- three, four, sometimes even five pitches. Um, I think that takes away from being really good with maybe one or two. Um, I think that having a fastball, um, I think getting back to your question, you know, your, your statement about, you know, the pirates throwing sinker balls down and in, I think that, you know, having a fastball in and having a fastball away, that might be two separate pitches. Um, so now all of a sudden you add in, you know, fastball up, um, you add in, you know, slider and you add up change up. Now you you've got like four or five different pitches and you're trying to make them all good when if we can try to make um you know two fastballs you know glove side and arm side and maybe even start with just down the middle and letting it work um and then being able to um have an off-speed pitch that gets people off your fastball 
Um, and, and having that be a plus pitch, not just, you know, my changeup's okay, my slider's okay, and my fastball's really good. Um, we want our guys to have elite fastball command um, and then have a plus pitch um, as an off-speed pitch. And then we can add in uh, a third and a fourth pitch if, if you know, if you're a starter um, and you're, you know, you're later on in your career. Um, I think that the development side of our pitching staff is, you know, I'm not going to talk to a freshman in the same way I'm going to talk to one of our juniors or seniors. Um, and that's just talking about more on the development side of what you're trying to achieve in a, in a, in a baseball game. Um, and just setting up our pitchers to um, have success. Um, when you try to overload them sometimes, um, you know, they try to worry about too many things. Um, it could, it could take, take a lot longer for them to develop instead of, um, you know, hey, these are the few things that we're going to focus on and we're going to be really good at that. Um, and then start adding on as you show that you can, you know, execute 70% of the time. And, and now we'll add in a, maybe a third pitch or, um, you know, maybe we'll add in a slide step um, or, um, you know, some, some things that we'll add on later on um, to our, uh, to our older guys. So I know they used to, and I don't know, if, I, I'm sure they still do at a lot of levels. They used to teach, you know, pitch down, you know, pound the bottom of the strike zone and that would result in a ground ball. And now launch angle, you know, the barrel is kind of headed right into that general direction. So pitchers are, you know, starting to work up with their fastballs. Um, for me, I feel like that would, that would make, you know, that, that would have more of a chance of being a mistake, you know, because mistakes up in the strike zone, usually they're not good. So what's your philosophy on, on maybe working up and down in the strike zone? I think that's very uh, individually based, yeah. um, you know, with the technology that's out there and, and we're, we're, extremely blessed at Sacramento State to have a head coach that wants our guys to, you know, develop as best we can. We have Rap Soto in the bullpen, and now we have Trackman on the field. Um, the pitchers that, um, you know, know about their, you know, spin rates and vertical rise and and, uh, and horizontal movement um, on two seamers and slink sinkers um, and sliders and what, you, and what your ball is doing, um, I think it's, I think that's where you, you base a game plan off of that. Um, you know, in pro ball, um, pitchers, you know, sometimes pitch to the hitter's weakness. Um, I think in college, if you really, really pitch to the pitcher's strengths and maybe not worry about the, the hitter's um, strength or weakness, um, I think that the pitchers are, are better off at the collegiate level. Um, you know, sometimes you get to the, the pro side and um, you have a, you know, a, a, a meeting about the other team's lineup and you say, you know, this guy really doesn't like sliders. Um, we're going to throw this guy sliders and you got a guy in the mound that doesn't really have a very good slider. And now all of a sudden you're asking him to, you know, throw his worst pitch to somebody that, you know, obviously is gonna, not going to hit a, a breaking ball very well, but maybe that breaking ball plays well to his swing. Um, so we really play to our guys' strengths. Um, and we're, we're continually working on guys' weaknesses and trying to achieve and make weaknesses, um, you know, not weaknesses or even, you know, turn into, uh, into success or positives um, or strengths. Um, but for the most part, we're going to attack hitters with our strength um, and make guys uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, if we, you know, somehow, you know, you're going to lose some games, um, but if we can lose going off of our strength rather than losing the game off of maybe our third or fourth pitch, we'll be all right with that. Um, if our guys go out there and act, execute um you know you can't fault them um and the, if the preparation is there um and the intent behind it um is there um then we're going to be we're going to have more, uh, more success than failures in this in the in the collegiate game mm. so you guys you came up through pro ball when relievers were kind of known as failed starters so like if there's a number five starter struggling 
he sucks, he's going to go to the bullpen and we'll use him down five or something like that or up five. How much has that changed? How much has that like thinking changed? I mean, we saw the Super Bowl pins. They're all over the place. I mean, every guy throws 95. Yeah. I don't know what it's like at the college level. But how much has that, you know, narrative of the failed starter changed in bullpens? Uh, I think I think definitely you're looking at uh, more special, specialization in pro ball. Um, got, preparing guys – for what they would do in the big leagues. I think that in the big leagues with the, with the, uh, with the amount of information that's known, you can kind of um, group certain players into certain positions um, that's going to best suit the team on trying to win a world series. I think a lot of, a lot of teams are on that development side, um, especially in the minor leagues on preparing them for what they're going to help the big league team. Um, Whereas at the collegiate level, um, you know, you have a four year span um, maybe even a three-year span if a guy gets drafted as junior year, you're trying to maximize and develop their um, their strength as best you can to help to help the team win a championship. Um, but it comes in different it comes in different ways. Um, you can't just you know you, we have a lot less players than you know the minor league system. You can't just re- you know release a guy and pick someone up really quick. Um, you know there's a there's a, a more of a human um, culture, um, more of a uh, you know. Um, we're trying to build, we're, we're building people um, at the collegiate level and maybe the athlete comes second. Um, and I think, um, you know, at the pro side, you've got all these athletes that are all striving to, you know, make the big leagues um, and, and they're going to do whatever it takes, um, whether it's dropping down or throwing, maybe they come out and they throw 80% sliders because they know that that's going to be the pitch that's going to get them to the big leagues um, and maybe not worry about maybe a, a, a change up or, a, you know, working on a two seam or working on, you know, something else. So they're going to, they're going to, they're going to maximize and, and, and get everything out of what their data is telling them is going to get them to the big leagues. Whereas, you know, I'm dealing with 18 to 22 year olds that might, you know, grow six six inches over the course of that four years, or they might get, you know, gain 25 pounds of lifting um, because they've never lifted like they have here before. Um, We might be able to, you know, teach them new pitch. That's more, um, it's more conducive to their arm action. And instead of throwing a curveball, well, maybe we can change to a slider. Um, but there's also, you know, being a good teammate and um, knowing how to hold runners um, and knowing signs because, you know, you know, signs, stealing signs is, is really prevalent in, in college baseball. So you got to be able to be aware of that stuff and picking pitches and tipping pitches. And you got to be aware of that stuff. You got to be able to, you know, know where you're going on a bunt play. Um, so there's a lot more uh, – to worry about at the collegiate level rather than just going out there and trying to strike everybody out in the, in the big leagues. Yeah, for sure. So as a former catcher, is it harder to be a, become a pitching coach than some of the former pitchers? I, I don't know how much you've gotten that question. Um, Cause I know you were primarily a catcher. Like, is it, I, I could, I feel like it could be maybe a little bit different on the mechanical side of things. I know you had the mindset, you know, you have a background in calling pitches. Is it different since you weren't a pitcher? I think there's a little bit of a difference, but uh, I worked, I worked to make sure that I knew how to talk to my pitchers. Um, I went up to driveline and and spent a week up at driveline. I've gone and, and and I listened to podcasts and listened to zoom calls and, and, and try to, you know, get tips and, 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 uh, and that's over the course of my, you know, my six year coaching career. Um, I, I don't think I've ever stopped trying to learn. Um, but the pitcher catcher relationship is probably the most important relationship on the field. That's why so many managers in the big leagues are ex catchers. Um, you have to be able to talk to each pitcher individually. You have to know, um, which pitcher you can go out there and, and, uh, 
you know, kind of rile up um, and get on a little bit. Um, there's other pitchers that you might have to go out there and, and you know, pat them on the back and tell them everything's going to be okay. Um, and so that pitcher-catcher relationship is not just between the pitcher and catcher. It's between people and people. So if you have, a, you know, a catching, a, a catching background, you know how to deal with people. Um, and so getting into, uh, you know, being a pitching coach, um, the communication has got to be number one. Um, there's a reason why pitchers are here. Um, they've obviously had a track record of something that was successful in the past. Um, we're going to emphasize that, but also enhance that um, with some of the things that um, we're using on, on a daily basis, whether it's, um, you know, the on-base use screening, um, it's, the, it's the weight room, it's uh, conditioning, it's um, mental training and, and being able to talk to a sports psychologist. Um, and then it's the baseball side. You know, some guys you may have not have ever thrown long toss. Um, and I could remember every single day throwing foul pole to foul pole with Madison Bumgarner in between his starts. And why would I tell someone that it's not going to be good for them to throw long toss when I played long toss with so many, you know, professional pitchers? Um, and on the flip side of that, how am I going to tell a guy that's been doing, you know, maybe some driveline stuff, uh, you know, building up his arm strength and then take that away from him and say, no, what's made you, I'm going to take it away and you can't do that anymore. Um, so that communication go back and forth, you know, there's might be some, you know, some things we take in and some things we put in. Um, and I think that that goes back to that pitcher catcher relationship and me, me being able to talk to each individual on our pitching staff, maybe in the same way, but in a, in a different manner to get them to um, realize um, where they are today is not where they're going to be tomorrow um, and not where they're going to be a year from now um, because of the work they're putting each, putting in each and every day. So I mentioned primarily a catcher but you did pitch I did my due diligence you did pitch a little bit over seven innings uh, at the minor league level uh, were those blowout games how did that come about with you pitching yeah so um, you know minor league you only have 25 guys on the roster and you're playing 142 games in 150 days and you know there's just some games where you know especially in the PCL and AAA PCL. <laughs> yeah the PCL you're playing in you know Colorado Springs where a pop up to the infield ends up being a three run homer um yeah there was just some times where you didn't want to use your bullpen um and you just tried to live to see the next day and give guys some rests um you know there I think the first time I ever pitched in pro ball we actually um we were in AA um one of our starters at the deadline, Tim Alderson got traded to the pirates and he was supposed to start that day. Um, so he couldn't start that day at the deadline. So now all of a sudden we've got a bullpen day. Um, the next day Bumgarner got thrown out of the game because he threw at somebody and got mad. So now all of a sudden uh, we had another bullpen day. I think, I think the pitcher that came in after him, the first pitch he threw got a line drive off of his head so he was concussed and got knocked out of the game. So now all of a sudden you're bringing up uh, uh, someone from Augusta uh, um, or maybe throwing someone on short day rest and then your bullpen, your bullpen's done. So um, I think we had like four or five position players throw in that three day stretch. Um, so you're just, you're, you're hamstrung with that stuff and you're playing every day. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no, Oh, Hey, you know, maybe we'll cancel today because you don't have enough players. Like we're playing that game. Um, and then, and then the, you know, the PCL games you, you get into and, and you're, um, you're down by a bunch of runs and you want to, you know, I just fill in an inning here and, a, you know, you're pitching and you're facing ex big leaguers and you're facing, you know, top prospects and you're just trying to not hit get, you know, trying to miss barrels um, and trying to throw strikes. Um, and I took it, I, I, I took it as fun. I knew that I, I you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to show that, you know, pitching is pitching's hard, just like hitting is hard, but 
um, if you go out there and, and, you, and you have fun with it and you don't have the expectations, um, you know, you go out there and, have, and, and it can happen. Um, so I was happy to do it. Um, and I love doing it. Yeah, you did a good job. 2.45 earned on average and seven appearances. Well done. Um, you didn't, you didn't get drafted. So how did you reach a deal? Cause I know you, you signed after with the giants. Yeah. What was that like, you know, on draft day, I know the late round draft picks, they don't get to sit there with their families and, and watch it on, on TV. I don't even know if it was T sorry to make you feel old here, but I don't even know if it was on MLB network uh, during, during when, when you were, you know, maybe going to get drafted. So how did that work with, you know, signing as an undrafted free agent? Yeah. So um, making me even older, there was, there was a, there was a rule that actually my year in 2006 um, was the last year that they actually had this rule. Um, it actually went away with when they start, stopped doing draft and follows. Um, I actually signed before the draft. Um, so I had already graduated from UC Davis. I was a fifth year senior. Um, and so you, with fifth year seniors that had graduated, you had, there was a rule that was in the, um, in major league baseball that you could sign with any major league team one week prior to the draft. So my senior year, um, we have senior day, um, we're playing Stanford. We go ahead and we went and beat Stanford um, on senior day, which was pretty cool. Um, and then the, I had, you know, four, four or five meetings set up with scouts um, that were offering me contracts. Um, and this gives you a little bit more, um, you know, being a fifth year, you know, senior sign, you don't have much bargaining power going to 50, you know, 50 round draft. Um, you pretty much just sign for a, you know, a, uh, um, maybe a plane ticket to the Arizona league or the, you know, the, the Florida golf league. Um, so um, I actually got a chance to, you know, have a, a little bit of a negotiation with each team that offered me a, a, a pro contract. So, um, you know, I also got to pick where I went. So I, you know, I did my homework on, you know, maybe some of the other teams um, that I, I was talking to on how many catchers they had and where they're, you know, what their top prospects looked like. Um, and at the time the giants, um, you know, being a hometown team was always a, was always a perk. Um, I got, felt a connection with the, with the scout that drafted, drafted me, Keith Snyder. Um, and he, you know, I felt like, you know, the giants organization was, was primed and ready for me to, you know, try to, to move up as quickly as I could. Um, and I was with them for nine years. Um, and, you know, got a chance to, you know, play four years of AAA and bounce down to double A and catch some top prospects, um, and help them along the way and be a part of, you know, the minor leagues when we won three championships now. You know, minor leaguers don't get, you know, world championship rings, but I felt like I was ever, you know, ever a part of those three championships because everybody that came up through the Giants organization were roommates of mine and uh, teammates of mine and friends of mine and um, calling pitches for, you know, Ryan Volsong. He opened up in um, one year and catching bullpens for him and throwing with him and talking baseball with him. And two years later, he's winning a World Series ring. And there's just there's moments like that where you just feel like you're a part of something. Um, and for me to be able to sign um, out of out of college and be with, you know, be with the Giants for that amount of time was something that was truly special. So you mentioned that you did kind of your research before you picked a team. When Buster Posey was drafted, did you just go, oh, man, was, was that something in your mind or were you just still focused on, on trying to make it to the big leagues? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, every year, um, every year there's a draft. You always joke around, you're with your, with your, uh, you know, your minor league team and the draft is going on and well, there's another 50 players to take my job, you know? Um, and so it just makes you work harder. Um, you know, it, it, it didn't really, uh, you know, take me away from, you know, 
what I was doing when Buster, when Buster got picked up. Um, but I knew that, you know, once I got to AAA and he was the big league catcher, I knew, knew that there was going to be, you know, something that was going to have to happen to him, which I'd never wanted to have happen to him. Um, he's very humble, um, a great teammate. Um, what was crazy about him is, is he was never trying, he never stopped trying to get better at the catching position. Um, he was asking me questions, which was totally mind blowing to me. I mean, his first year in the big leagues, he's rookie of the year and wins a, a world series in the following spring training. He's asking me questions about the catching position. I mean, to have someone like that be the leader in the face of the, of the franchise, um, it, it, there's no, there, there's no, um, there's no question why he is who he is. Um, and that wasn't this is baseball side. There's a reason why he's still catching and not moved to first base. Um, his relationship with the, his pitchers, the way he calls games, um, his leadership behind the plate is just second to none. So, um, you know, I, I never, you know, I never once blinked at the fact that I, you know, I might not get to the big leagues just because of Buster Posey. There's, um, you know, there's, t I was just trying to make sure that I was ready for whatever opportunity I was ever given. Um, and being a lifelong backup catcher, um, you never know when you're, well, you know, one foul tip away um, from, you know, being the everyday catcher. So I was always trying to prepare myself for that. Um, and, you know, you really try to keep yourself kind of fo focused on just what you're doing. Uh, if you're worried about, you know, who the Giants are drafting and, you know, they drafted another six catchers this year that you're, you're going to be passed up really quick. Yeah, so you played with the Brandons too, is that right? So what was kind of your perspective of, of them when they were at the minor league level? So Brandon Crawford and I are, uh, we were in each other's weddings. Um, wow. We, yeah. So we were, um, we got really, really close. Our families are really close. Um, and both being, you know, Northern California kids um, who went to UC schools. Um, there was, there was an instant connection there and we were roommates in, in uh, Dublin, Connecticut when he got called up and, and we were roommates ever since. Um, and um, so he, he, when he got called up really, you know, pretty quickly, um, we were in double A together in 2009 in Connecticut and you could just see the, um, the instant skills, uh, the skill set was off the charts. And then the following year, um, Crawford and I are both back in double A in Richmond opening up Richmond. Um, that was the first year of the flying squirrels, um, organization and affiliate with the giants. And so then Brandon Bell got, you know, got off to a, uh, a really hot start in, in high A and got called up to double A. And so now you got both of them. Um, both are super funny. Um, you know, they might be, um, you know, during the games and when you're watching games on TV, they might be very, uh, stoic and, 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 uh, uh, very professional, but both those guys are super funny dudes. Um, the clubhouse was always fun to be in. Um, I remember going to, you know, we'd be in Bowie, Maryland and go to, you know, Chuck E. Cheese to have lunch and, and be fooling around with, with, you know, the football game that's at Chuck E. Cheese or, um, you know, whatever, whatever game we can play or, you know, and I'll never forget. Um, we had a rain rain delay in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, the the dugouts are flooded, and you know the the um, the rain is pouring down, and and there the in Nashville at the old stadium, the um, the uh, the clubhouse was out in right field corner um, of the stadium, and it was just too small for the, the whole team to be in there at once. So uh, me and the and the Brandons and and uh, Ryan Rollinger and and Brett Pill, we were all in the dugout, and I don't think I've ever laughed as hard in my life. And I think Emmanuel Burris was in that in that uh, in the dugout too. So like you just have these moments where you just track back, and you, you, these these are 
real dudes and they're funny, um, but they get the job done at elite level at the big league level. And I think that they're definitely underappreciated, especially both Brandon's, um, you know, Brandon belt is one of the, you know, has one of the best eyes I ever played with um, at the plate. Um, He's also one of the best defensive first basemen for, you know, for how underrated the first base play is his ability to, you know, um, stay on the bag when throws are going up the line or, you know, uh, and, and picking the ball and having a strong arm to be able to throw someone out if the left-handed picks over and, and being able to throw to second base. And then the gold gloves are real for Brandon Crawford. Um, he's one of the most elite shortstops you can be. His footwork is immaculate. Um, his arm strength is unreal. Um, I don't think there's ever been anybody I've ever played with that on a relay throw is as good as he is. Um, so those guys are, those guys are just, you know, they were talented and they, they, they try to be good at what they do every single day. There was never a day off. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the Manny Burrises and the Ryan Rollingers of the world because we forget about them. Manny Burris was a first-round pick. Ryan Rollinger, I believe he played like three sports in high school, was a three-sport star. So those guys getting a shout-out here. We yeah. talk so often about you know minor league pay and the difficulty of making a living at the minor league level. What are some of the things you remember from that struggle? I just remember having to work harder in the off season. Um, you know, you, you don't get paid in the off season. So uh, um, being able to, you know, I was a substitute teacher. I gave baseball lessons um, later in my career. I actually started a, you know, a travel ball, you know, a couple teams. Um, I was, I was making more money in the off season doing lessons and substitute teaching than I was during the season. Um, and so you just try to build up a savings account as much as you can. And not to mention, you're still trying to train, five days a week um, and put yourself in a better position than the, than the year before um, physically um, so that when you go into spring training that you can show all the hard work that you've put into it. Um, and then you get to spring training, you're not making it. There, there's no paycheck yet. Um, you're playing, you know, you're down in spring training for a month and a half and you're getting, you know, $7 a day to go eat. And, you know, they're giving, they're giving you breakfast and lunch. So, um, but there's, there's just, you know, you got to be able to budget and be able to understand that it's, it's kind of an investment. Um, if you can invest, um, you know, maybe some time on, you know, and some of your own hard earned money in the off season. Um, and if you ever get a chance to make the big leagues, like that's, that's the carrot at the end of the tunnel, um, that keeps you going is, um, if I can, you know, somehow get through this, the, the, the reward at the end of the tunnel being a big league is going to be even sweeter. Um, and being able to, you know, obviously the paycheck is tough, but, um, I wouldn't have changed it for any experience um, that I've ever had in, in my professional career, whether it was, you know, getting a chance to play in the World Baseball Classic for Team Italy or go over to Italy and play in a professional team and, um, you know, be able to travel around and be a part of, you know, the, the Eastern League and go to those, you know, states on the uh, on the East Coast. And then my last year in uh, AA with the Brewers was in the Southern League. So being able to go and spend, you know, time in the South um, and then, you know, be on plane flights in the PCL um, and win, you know, a championship, a league championship. I have two championship rings. One's one in the Northwoods league, uh, Northwest league with the uh, Salem Kaiser volcanoes. And then in 2009 um, with the San Jose giants. Um, so um, none of that ever, you know, took away what I was trying to achieve. Um, yes. It's, it, it did not, it wasn't enough. Um, but you learn how to make do um, and you learn how to grind. Yeah, so you mentioned the Team Italy and the WBC in 2013. How did you get involved with the Italian baseball uh, team, and what was that experience like? I'm sure it was probably one of the highlights of your career. 
100 percent um playing playing in international baseball um and especially playing for um, minor league baseball for a long period of time i would say many many players in minor league baseball not to their own fault um are really playing for themselves and trying to make the big leagues um, but when you play international baseball you're you're all in for whatever the team needs um and you're no longer playing for the name on the back of your jersey you're playing for the name on the front of your jersey um, so that 2013 run that Team Italy went on was one of the most magical teams I've ever been a part of, and um, it was pretty special. Um, but uh, in 2009, I think was the uh, was the um, World Baseball Classic, or maybe 2010, um, what there was the um, the World Bas World Baseball Classic before the 2013 when I was a part of it. And um, the bench coach for Team Italy was Tom Troublehorn, who um, for a long period of time was the short season manager in Salem uh, Kaiser for the Giants. Um, and he came back from the World Baseball Classic and just, you know, he came up to me and said, hey, um, you know, are you, you got to be Italian. You look Italian. Your last name's Latore. Um, we got to get you on this team. We could have used you um, this past year. And so I went through the process of getting my dual citizenship and got a chance to play in the, you know, European championship for the Italian national team. Um, we won a uh, European championship in 2012 and then, you know, got the, 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 the following uh, spring training, um, got a chance to go to big league camp and then play in the, in the world baseball classic in uh, Arizona. And then, you know, we won two games, we beat Canada, we beat Mexico and got a, a chance to move on to the next round with team USA and go down to, um, Miami Marlins Park and, and play against the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and um, those 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 experiences will never be forgotten um, and um, those teammates um, we still talk to to the to this day about the experiences we have with those teams. Yeah, never bet against the Italians. I think that's the takeaway. I mean, risotto. I mean, you could kind of. So I'm Italian too. Um, so that's and was Mike Piazza on on that? Was he a coach? So what yeah, was so it like? What was it like, kind of getting to know uh, Mike Piazza? Yeah, so he was our hitting, he was the he was the hitting coach um, for that that team. Um, he's now our he's now our national team um, manager. Um, so he was actually with us in uh, in 2012 um, in our European Championship run. Um, he was always around, and obviously me being a catcher, and and uh, you know he had you know little tips here and there, and and you know, just talking to him and getting able to pick his brain on, um, it helped me not only playing international baseball for team Italy, but it helped me in life and, and being able to coach now. Um, so I, 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 I thank him and, and everything that he did. I'm, I'm sure he wasn't, you know, doing it for his own, you know, his own, um, ego or his own, you know, his own resource, you know, reasons, but, um, he was out there to, to spread baseball and spread his knowledge of the game and, it was great to be a part of um, something that he's, you know, now the manager of. Um, and I'm excited to, to see where Italian baseball continues to build and continues to grow on, you know, on all levels, whether it's um, at the youth level, the high school level, and then obviously into the professional level and trying to get more Italians into this game. Yeah, for sure. So are you still affiliated with the team at some capacity? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've, we have, um, you know, uh, Chris Colabello is, is someone that, you know, is a good friend of mine and he uh, um, he's in constant contact with them um, with all the, you know, the Italian baseball federation. Um, one actually um, the, the, um, our pitching coach with that 2013 um, team, Bill Holmberg um, was someone that I really, really stayed in contact with. I really, really respected. He actually passed away from pancreatic cancer in the fall. Um, so that was something that that hit the federation really hard. He was, you know, he lived um, at the um, 
you know, the national team training facility and worked with youth, youth, um, you know, youth Italians and, and, um, you know, really built, um, that, that training facility there. So, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, the, the college baseball season and, and something works out to where I can go back there and, and still continue to coach and be a part of something. And, um, you know, I, I'm always trying to be as, as, um, as helpful to them as possible because they were, you know, incredible to me when I was, when I was playing with them. Yeah. Good stuff. Before we wrap things up, I have two kind of rapid fire questions. You could, you can answer this however you want. Number one catching. I asked, I asked, um, the, uh, the catcher I had on last, uh, his name was, uh, (laughs) his name was Colin Thoreau. I knew his last name was Thoreau. Um, yeah, he's going to hate me for that, but I asked him how many concussions he had and he said, None. So how many concussions have you had? I've had zero, zero. Um, and I was never the, I was never the catcher that, you know, had a foul tip or anything and, and kind of took the time. I just wanted to, you know, wear it and give the ball back to the pitcher. And I didn't need the, the umpire to call timeout. Like that's just the way that I was. Um, it'd be hurting. It'd be hurting in that instance, but I never wanted to take away from the flow of the game. Um, I don't, I don't, at least I don't think I ever got a concussion. I, there was, you know, there's no more collisions at home plate anymore, but there was definitely some collisions at home plate and some foul tips that, that ring your bell. But um, I, I never had a, never had a concussion diagnosed. Well, that's why you're coaching now. So there you go. Uh, lastly, who's the best pitcher you ever faced? Are you ever caught? Let's start caught. Sure. Sure. So, uh, I have a, I have a couple different categories for this. So best stuff was Tim Lincecum. Um, he Tim Lincecum had the nastiest stuff. It broke really late. Um, you never really knew where the ball was going until super late. That's why he could go in out there and he could throw no hitters and and strike out and be back to back Cy Young uh, award winner. Um, uh, on the competitive side, Madison Bumgarner was. Um, we would get on fight. We would get in fights on the mound. Um, he would not want to, he never wanted to give up a hit. He never wanted, um, a hitter to, you know, fake drag bunt and, or he, he just, he was, he was exactly what you see in, in games when he was pitching for the giants. And now he's, you know, he, now he's with the diamondbacks, but you know, he just, if he didn't like you, he was going to let you know about it. Um, and he was the most competitive, um, pitcher, uh, I ever caught. Um, and, um, yeah, so I have those two categories. And then, you know, of course I have, you know, guys I enjoyed catching cause they were my friends and they, you know, had nasty stuff. You know, you've got, um, you know, Shane Lukes and Daryl Madej and, um, you know, there was, there was guys that came up, to, you know, catching Ty Block was always, was always fun because you knew the game was going to be over in less than two hours cause he worked fast and, um, you know, you know, catching uh, Hunter Strickland and, and having him throw hundred miles an hour was always fun. And then, You've got older guys that are still trying to make a career. You know, Vogel song. You know, coming back, it was a pleasure catching him because you could probably catch it blindfolded, and he'd he'd be hitting your glove. Um, and so there's you know there's different types of pitchers, but you know, Linscombe's stuff was nasty, um, and Bumgarner's um, you know just at flat out competitive edge was just never was never the same with any other pitcher I caught. Yeah, Linscombe had that devastating split changeup thing, whatever that was. So. I mentioned uh, before I was kind of going into a different question. I guess I'll ask it now before we go. Who's the best pitcher you faced as a hitter? Well, being a left-handed hitter, um, you know, you've got guys that, you know, the sidearm, the sidearm lefties always kind of gave me trouble. Um, and so um, I think 
Um, a couple guys that, you know, kind of gave me trouble in my career were like a, a Ryan Roland Smith, um, oh, you know, big, big Australian kind of three quarters feel like you're, he was throwing the ball behind you um, in AAA. We faced, you know, James Paxton. I mean, he's so big and so long, like the ball comes out of, you know, you, you, you try to open up and it's just not right. Um, but there was like, there was times where you were in AAA and you were facing the Mets and you were facing, um, you know, Steven Matz. And then the next day was Syndergaard and the next day was DeGrom. And, and then the next day was Daisuke Matsuzaka. And then you go up and you're facing, you know, the Seattle Mariners and you got James Paxton and Taiwan Walker and Erasmo Ramirez and Danny Hellison. So like, you know, it, I think, I think it was more along the lines of just the relentless pitching that you were always facing. Um, but those, those big lefties um, that you don't see very often, um, those are the ones that gave me the most, uh, you know, I, the, the most, the most uh, competitiveness um, because I didn't see very many lefties being a left-handed hitter. So um, those were the toughest guys. Tyler, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate it. Best of luck to you guys in Sac State, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be cheering you guys on. Thank you, Stephen. It was a blast. You guys can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Subscribe wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, of course, um, and and keep up for more content soon. Uh, and you guys can also go ahead and uh, give Mr. Coach Tyler Latoria follow on Twitter. He is there at Tyler Latori. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching and have a great day. Fingers up.